Kia ora Aotearoa and welcome to Generally Famous, the Stuff Podcast. I'm Simon Bridges and every week I talk to a generally famous but always interesting guest about life, love and what makes them tick. Today's guest, journalist, TV host, NZ Media big timer, Patrick or Paddy Gower. <laughs> Quite an intro. Thank well, you, Simon. But you know, you are, you're like, a, um, we were just saying, but you're like, how did it happen? You went from respected sort of journalist <laughs> to you are like the brand. You are the product. You are the, you are the thing that, that, you know, small children want selfies with. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it happened along the way. I mean, there's a, there's a few things, you know, there's a few things that happened. I, I swore in a library and I think that... <laughs> That really changed things, and 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 like at the Queen or something. Yeah, that was la- <laughs> basically. There was, there was a lot later. The train was well and truly on the tracks <laughs> by then. But yeah, for me, it's it it is kind of quite quite mind blowing how it all happened. I mean, I just I, I sort of do know how it happened. You know, I was on TV. Some funny things happened, and I've done lots of different stuff. But there was never a plan for that to happen. That was you know when I was young, it was never anything that I ever thought about or, or sort of wanted to end up like this. I mean, I guess I was a class clown. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and now I'm sort of, you know, a bit of a class clown of the nation in some ways. I mean, that's a bit hard. I don't know. You, you, I wouldn't go class clown of the... I, I remember actually Intermediate, Mr. Den Hartog. And I remember hearing him and the principal of Tiatatu Intermediate talking about me, talking about who'd be student leader, right? I just remember this. And it haunts me to this day. <laughs> and they said, "Yeah, he'd be all right. He's good. He's got leisure qualities, but a bit of a clown." Yeah. Well, that's that's really interesting, actually, Simon, because I could tell you identical stories about yeah. me. That was probably what all of my teachers said. Um, and then, uh, you know, they would say, "Oh, if he could stop being such a clown, he could do really well." Um, and he does have some leadership qualities. I think I, I eventually got into such a clown that they probably stopped saying that he had leadership qualities for a little <laughs> while. All of these people saying the same stuff, saying the stuff about me. I could bring in a stack of reports. school reports yeah. that would say the exact same me thing. Me too. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm, There's I, some themes there. Yeah, I can definitely see it with you as well. I yeah. mean, and and I can sort of see, see what I was like. But look it. at us now. It's okay. That's right. We made it. Sometimes you know? the worst traits are the best traits yeah. at a level. If you can rein them. I remember actually, we're going to stop this right now. This morning. It's not about me. It is about yeah. you. But yeah. I also remember, but I feel like this is good therapy. Um, actually, not that long after that, my mother taught at the same school. Ooh. And uh, and she was really upset because <laughs> because another teacher kept complaining about how arrogant I was. Oh, in the, in the staff room? Yes. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, you know that sort of had to get knocked out of me in, in a few ways, but and, and and branders may be the wrong word, but you're this, but you know you are this big personality. Everyone in New Zealand literally knows who you are. Do you think that changes you? Does it make you, I don't know, not go out, want to be home on a Friday night without people around? Um, need to go for your holidays to kind of Australia where there'd still be hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders who probably know you, but <laughs> but that that don't know you. Um, for me, I actually do like being out and around people, so I I don't mind right. so much. But there will be weekends and times where I'm just like I just don't really want to see yep. anyone, and I don't think that's necessarily because people notice me when I'm out and walking around and want to say good day. To right. be honest, Simon, I actually love it. 
when people but it is work though to me. it is and and then in the kind of job that I do which is which is broadcasting and you know in a, in a newsroom like like the stuff one here that you know news hub you know they're pretty active places as well and it, it might surprise people that yeah, I do actually become quite introverted now, especially as I'm getting older. Yeah, like I don't really want to go and see friends or do anything at the weekends. So I just want to chill, and I think that's because during the week it's obviously pretty full on. I love it. I wouldn't change it for a moment. I love it when people come up and talk to me in the street and want to have a yak with me. I do, I do like it. You know, nine ninety percent of the time. But like I noticed it when you came in here. Um, we've just walked through the stuff newsroom. You know, what's that? A hundred meters? Well, maybe not a hundred, but but a fair few meters. Lots of desks, open space. People come up to you, right? You you were like a politician then. Yeah. You had, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. It takes one to know one, but like yeah. you had to stop and pretend you were interested in people, and, and and maybe you were, but and the good politicians are. That's why I was never a good one. But <laughs> you, you know, you you going up, giving them the time. It was like politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess um, politics, but it's a little easier for me because um, you know I don't have to promise anything no, to these people. So <laughs> that's true. Hey, um. I've written here. You started as a journalist, and that's me- I meant to write it like that. I-, I mean, are you still one now, or are you something yeah. else now? Uh, I'm I'm definitely something else now. I'm definitely a broadcaster, personality, um, and all of these other things. Probably an entertainer as well at yeah. some points. But I am a journalist. I love it. It's all I've ever done every day for my whole working life since my first job. I've got up and I've done journalism. What do you like about it? I love digging stuff up. I love bringing that out to people, um, you know, and and I just love the grit of it. I love the camaraderie. Yeah. I love everything about it. It's just been, you know, such an amazing job for me. I can remember sort of my first stories for the New Zealand Herald and getting the paper out of the dairy with my name on the front page and stuff yep. like that. And, and I've never looked back. I've never, ever thought about doing anything else really um a couple of times um later in life i thought about it but singing on a cruise ship <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah or doing something but i don't know it's just me and yeah you know despite all of these other titles that i've tacked on to myself you know it's journalist that's at the core and broadcaster and personality and entertainer and patty and all of these different things that other people think and documentaries they all sit around the core really which is being a Juno. It's funny, actually, I used to get, um, not media training, it's just, just occurs to me while I'm listening to you talk there, um, but that, that it's, I can't remember who, but, but certain minders would say to me, don't call him Paddy, it's familiar and friendly, <laughs> and that's when he's about to screw you, you <laughs> yeah. know? So yeah. um, I've I've taught myself out of calling you Paddy, it's yeah. familiar and friendly when you are the enemy. Yeah, and, yeah. And so you are Patrick Gower. No, no, I remember that, and I, I, when I was, it's working, like you're about to shaft me, and I'm, I'm all friendly <laughs> with you calling you Patty. It's like, no, f- you, you're yeah, not Patty Gower. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember when I was in, in working in Parliament, uh, you know, in the press gallery, and trying to trip people like you up every single day, like coming to work, and it's just like, how are we going to get these guys? You know, how are we going to? How are we going <laughs> to get? School how are we going to get school bridges? Of press gallery. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how will we get bridges or something like that? You know, and, and you, you'd sort of zone in on on one of them and. Um, um, you know, I do remember, you know, John Key would sometimes call me Patty. And every time any politician ever called me Patty, 
I would use it on TV. Yeah, so, I know. So, so I know. Any, any- Which is the same with Tova, right? <laughs> I mean, it was just like, no, don't use their names. Yeah. They are not, they, they do not deserve that for that behavior. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but like sort of a school teacher thing about their children. Um, and, but, and, and I wanted to ask you, originally you were in print. I did, I'm obviously not a journalist, but my wife was, and I have this sort of thing where, like it's just a silly, but but that print is the superior superior sort of form of it, right? There's something about it that's. I mean, you you went from have you ruined yourself going the other way and media celebrity kind of television nonsense? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because when I started, I wanted to be a feature writer, you know, and not just a feature writer for a, for a newspaper. You know, I thought that I was going to become a feature writer for the New Yorker or something like yes. this and write these massively long 16-page articles about um, a politician or an all-black where you would just reveal all the stuff about them by painting these huge pictures around them. Yes. So I thought when I started- Reading significance and how they scratch their nose and- Yeah, that's right, how they breathe and, you know, some small sort of observation that you tease out into some- um, some some giant sort of in-depth understanding of this person's personality. So I thought I was going to go more when I started in print. Yeah, I did think it was superior. I thought television, I just couldn't understand why people wanted to do it. And I and I, I did actually think that I was in the superior medium and I wanted to go into the more superior side. Um, but I got into television and, and I got hooked. I always thought maybe it started off as maybe something I'd do for a year, see what it was like, do for two years, see what it was like, get to an election. Um, maybe I'd do it for, for 10 years and and go back to print, and it just never happened. Things do you write that, it all now? The, yeah. Is there any yeah. writing? I'm just trying yeah. to think. Yeah, so I'll write the things that I say. You know, I'll write an opinion piece. Right. You know, so you do a lot of writing for television. Yes. There is actually it's some, also used some for writing online on, and uh, used for online and yep. stuff, but I don't get as much time to – I would like to – Write a column, mm. and and you know I'd like to write a column on politics. You'll or, be getting a phone yeah. call after this. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd say that inside stuff. Yeah, yeah, but I actually don't have I actually don't have time in the week. No, to, it's the to, bandwidth to, though. To, to to do a good job, and I've always said I'd love to get back to mm. to writing, and mm. I you know I say that, and I never do because all of this other stuff sort of has come cascading in. But you know I'd really like to write a book, not just um you know I'd like to write a book about about my life. Um, but I'd also like to write one about a big topic, you know, yes. like a like a story or something like that. Yes. You know, not a non-fiction one, but a, a, a you know, a, not a fiction one, but a non-fiction one. But yes. whether I ever get the time to do anything. Well, what like will that. happen after this is one of them will call you and say, "Look, we'll give you sixty grand if you, if you, <laughs> if you and then you'll say yes because you'll take the sixty grand for that holiday to <laughs> yeah, yeah, Hawaii yeah, or whatever yeah. it is that you you know want to do or paying the mortgage or something, and um. And then, and then you'll have the stress of having to write yeah. it. Yeah, no, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, be... I don't want the stress. I don't want the stress. Well, everyone's got one book in them. You've, you, 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 I yes. actually think you'd find your the book about you. Um, well, would it be? I don't know. It would be that hard. I think it would spew. For me, it spewed out of you. Yeah, the issues one I think would be quite hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, you know, I'd, I'd like to write a book about if something big happened, sort of the scale of Pike River or something like that. You know, I'd like to get in and. And do, do Rebecca something. McPhee, that's yeah, her. she done you know, that, that one. That was an amazing book, and and something like that I'd like to do. Whether I can ever get around to it and get the time, um, who knows the way things are going. Um, 
I was going to go. I mean, you were a police reporter. You came back. You were in the UK. Came back. Politics, yeah, press gallery. I'm skipping all the way forward to the book already. And and then TV. My, my this might be unfair, and it may be that I'm sort of putting you with half a dozen other um, uh, no, be, political. But, it'll but be I, fair. No, it'll I just feel like my vague recollection is you you originally struggled with the format of TV. Oh, or have I made that's that not up? vague at all? Yeah, I was appalling on screen. Um, I had no training whatsoever, and as I said to you earlier, I had no interest in doing it, and I was a shocker. And people, when I tell them that these days, younger reporters coming into television, they sort of, I don't think people really realise how bad I was. And I think because of a few things, you know, I'd come out of print and I really didn't know what I was doing, and I got chucked right in the deep end, which is the TV3 way, and just sink or swim type thing. Um, and then obviously because, you know, of my looks as well, which are, I think, unconventional for a television reporter as well, um, to have this... I like that unconventional, <laughs> rugged looks. You could be think... like a character actor yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. A yeah. bad guy in a Bond movie, possibly. Yeah. I, yeah. That would be, I could do I that. That would be I good. I've always, thought, I've always thought that that would be my calling. <laughs> and I think people just struggled when I first came on TV. Mr. P. To... <laughs> To, to deal with what was in front of them, you know, this untrained, wooden, um, pretty weird looking, you know, a lot of people, and I've said this before, a lot of people would call me ugly um, when I first came on TV or even now really. And that meant that it was absolutely brutal um, introduction to, to TV. It was really, really hard. And Facebook and different things had not really started up, you know, Twitter and all of that. Social media was really which only, was good. It was good, <laughs> yeah. Because I, I would not have, I would not have, I would not have survived. I don't think because you wouldn't have been around. tough enough, or because do you think that they might have come and said, "Oh, this isn't working"? Yeah, I think no, I wouldn't have been tough enough to deal with the kind of comments about the way that I looked, the way that I was on TV. And I always remember going to Christmas and with my cousins and. Um, my cousin had had a few beers and he was just like, oh, my God, I can't watch you on oh, TV. Sounds, sounds like me and yeah. <laughs> family things, politics, guys. Yeah, they were like, I, I can't it's watch It's like, shut you. up. We don't want to know what you – I don't want to know what you think yeah. unless it's good. Yeah, and um, I found that really hard, you know, to, to sort of hear that from a – from a relative as well. He didn't mean it in a hard way. No. You know, he was just sort of – He was just speaking loosely. And, and I just realised that that was – you know, I knew that a lot of people thought that as well. And, you know, like, what is he doing on TV? And, it, yeah, so it was it was really hard. The first, the first year in particular was really, really hard. After about 18 months, it started to get a lot easier. And I started to get onto some, some big stories. You know, the election was on up here. There was the cup of tea in Epsom and Banksy and... Keezy and doing the deal and all of that sort of stuff and I really started to get into the journalism side of things and that was after about 18 months but those first six months 12 months like they were among the hardest months of my life because comments would seep through and you could just tell by the way that people re were reacting and how people at TV3 were trying to help me to get better and you know my confidence was rock bottom really you know it was it was really really struggling, I guess. And, um, you know, then it all started to turn That's around. 
Yeah. And you you're not a remotely ugly but I know what you what is true is you're not some AI created normal <laughs> kind of looking you know yeah. you're distinctive and what I you're very tall as I've been saying to you yeah. in the latrines of stuff.co.nz <laughs> yeah. but but in a way they they end up being strengths right don't they because it's like you are you're not generic weather person you are Paddy Gower yeah brand and I think it's it's you know it's funny thinking about it isn't it cuz you know, people don't say don't say stuff like that anymore about me struggling to do it because obviously I've been doing it for nearly fifteen years now and it's not not a struggle. But you know, at some point that sort of started to stop. Or, but it was it was always good when people would say you were bad when you began, but you're getting good now. Yeah, and that would just give me a massive boost. Yeah. you know, if, if if someone said that, because um, they're changing their perception. Yeah, yeah, on yeah, the basis yeah. of you doing what you, yeah, you did. With. Yeah, how hey, yeah. you and you were. Um, you were political editor at TV3. How long did you do that gig for? Quite a while. I did that for five years. Five and, years. And, you know, if you want to talk about hard jobs, um, you know, it's nowhere near as hard as the leader of the opposition. I know how hard the leader of the opposition that role is because I made it hard for people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was part of what yes. made it hard for people. I was, you know, it's a small factor in what would make, um, you know, I wasn't there while you were leader of the opposition, but, um, you know, I know what the – what, what that job requires because I'd watch it every day and I would be part of the problem for a leader of the opposition. I was part of the problem for Phil Goff. I was part of the problem for David Cunliffe. I was part of the problem for Andrew Little. Um, where you, and and Shearer. I, and Shearer, I was a big part of the problem for him. The fish or whatever, um, were you? That was you, Yeah, I was, I was around with all the coups against him and undermining him and hacking him down and making him look bad on TV and saying – that he wasn't up to it when I was commentating, like constant. This is not. This is like, you know, over a period of six months, you've you've been in in these places where guys like Shearer have been. You know what it's like, and you know I was a big part of that. And and with Shearer in particular, David Shearer, um, and that shows you the sort of the way that when you start talking about politics, you never call someone by their first name. You know, it's mm. always like Bridges, mm. or Key, or mm. Shearer, or Goff, because you don't actually view them necessarily as a person when you're the journalist um well I didn't anyway you sort of you sort of just view them as this as this amorphous thing you know you view them as key you view them as sharer mm. you view them as bridges and it becomes um like that and and you know with David Shearer in particular you know I really wanted to make my mark you know I wanted to be like Duncan who you know he had really taken on Phil Goff. He would, you know, he would expose every frailty of Labour's, um, you know, he had scalps, as 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 we call them, you know, hanging, you know, of ministers that he'd taken out and stuff. And I kind of thought that I really needed to um, take out an opposition leader, you know, mm. and, and Shearer was the one that was there and I just kind mm. of thought that was my role. So obviously it's part of it. If an opposition leader is is weak and is facing huge instability from within their own caucus. That is, that's a true story. That is an absolute true story. So it's, yeah. it's one to follow, and that's and that's your job, and that should never change. What but, I suppose I find interesting about it, though, is it's not, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, because it is what it is at a level, and but it's not fair. Like it's somehow the sort of the circadian rhythms of it, they get a better go. Um, than yep. a new opposition because they're new and, and, and we just have this sort of view that there's this cycle 
And so the hard go and the pressure's got to be on one side. And, of course, that changes by the end of a government, right? Yeah. In the last three to four or five years, um, yeah. possibly, where, where the pressure comes off, of an, off an oppositional level and it, that cycle and how people are treated or a government opposite, they, it changes over time. Would you agree with that or is I, that not? I, I do. I think circadian rhythm is a really good term for it. It's always like when I first came into politics, Helen Clark's government was on the way out and I was watching it in its last year and keys lot were on the way in including you and that first term for phil goff it's there's all these cliches like the phone is off the hook and you know you've got to take the bullet and someone's got to do it and stuff like that which is sort of that role that you were in as mm. well you know mm. you were in an in, in a, as an opposition leader against an ascendant opposition and an ascendant leader and there is some sort of rhythm there that that person has to lose i guess or not make it or fail or 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 all of you know all of the all of the above and i think that's partly to do with the media it's partly to do with politics itself but it's also the public sort of feeding in the public does have some sort of Role it's, in it's a it as Kiwi well. fairness yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I think what the best elections and the best political operations, a bit like a jury trial, dare I say, it, are the ones where um, the side wins that quote shouldn't because they've outplayed the other guys. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, not that it should be a sport, but you know what I mean. I think really what we're saying here is at a level there is some of that, right? Because you know that's that's media, that's politics, and and they're the ones you look and say that leader and team had the discipline, the skill, and they won, even though actually it was against actually the... Actually, it was a... You're part of, as you say, Ghana school, which is gonzo, take no prisoners, ruthless. You were in it. You did it with a plum. Um, Tova followed you, same. Well, I was going to say, do you regret Because I know there are parts you put you do, because I think you're on record as saying, but how do you look back on that? Yeah, I, I mean... I loved that style of journalism. Yeah, you know, like don't get me don't yeah. get me wrong. Like, I'm not asking you to kind of yeah whip your back or anything. No, no, no. <laughs> and I loved it. And and there's a few sort of tears to this. I love journalism where you just like throw off the shackles and just do stuff that no other. That's what I liked doing when yes. I was a political leader. Is just like actually doing stuff, saying stuff that no other Juno would would go just like going to places where they wouldn't go so that's why i love that sort of gonzo um personality plus bringing in sort of basically elements of comedy into your <laughs> television reporting as well and and sort of um the theater of it all so that you could think of it like you're going over to the pub after a day in parliament and your mates were saying to you what happened in there today and you're just like, well, I'll tell you what happened. And your eyes would sort of lift up and you'd tell them this amazing sort of dramatic story about he said this, she said this. Anyway, you know, and your friends are there at the end just going, what's going to happen next? And you go, well, look out tomorrow because I tell you what, this is happening. And I kind of – That's a great way of thinking about you it. You know, I used to like to bring that to to, yes. my, to my reporting. And with politicians like yourself being so well-trained with media, so ambitious, trying to control it and plot against us – you know, to just be able to, it's a bit like what you were saying before, you know, like a jury trial or anything, like you're not meant to win, you're not meant to beat these guys, but if you can think of ways to <laughs> sneak around the building and catch people in different places or questions that will catch them off guard or ways of showing it in the end, if you can use 
this little kit bag of tools that you've got available to you to take on, you know, the 120 plus MPs and all the people that work for them and all the power yes. of the political parties, and and you can get you know, you can get one up over them or just expose them or kind of show people what's really happening by using these things, then, you know, that's a victory for you. And so that would be my mindset. But, you know, where I have had regrets is just sometimes I would just lose that perspective in all of this, you know, and and lose the sense of ridiculous and it would become personal and, you know, and and maybe it's not going anywhere. Maybe, you know, you like to think you're always working for this massive greater good. And a lot of the time I was, heaps of the time I was. Um, but whether I always had 100% perspective, like I know that I didn't, and yeah. those are the bits that I regret. And, and for some reason, I really have ended up in life regretting Lots of stuff about what happened in Parliament. You know, I had a mental breakdown and had to quit the place. There's all there's all of these sorts of things, but for some reason, over time, I've felt really bad about David Shearer, and and I don't know why that is. I just I just have. And, was a decent um, guy and yeah. uh, and and you know had a good. <laughs> he, he actually, um, well, no, I won't get into that, but. Look, well, I wouldn't. I was going to say, he was potentially of, he, he could have been their best yes. at one level. And he didn't have the. Um, he he wasn't articulate, and that yeah. was a, that was an issue for him. But in other respects, his backstory is was was actually very good. Yeah, and Key Key John Key um, was scared was scared of him too. Initially, I know that, and it was really you know looking back, it was really important that actually David Shearer was tripped up by you guys because he did have the potential to actually take you guys out of there. In an election and campaign. And if he'd got were. there and, you know, all these different things mm. and maybe if he'd had a few more skills, you know, a lot of people say he was, just wasn't suitable. But I know that John Key was worried about him and and he was he was one guy that could have could have done it. But, you know, um, and it wasn't the media that got rid of him, it was his own people. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I just going to say, we're going to need to keep moving. We spent too much time on politics, and this ain't a politics yeah. podcast. I, my favourite view was the, um, just sticks in my memories, chasing Chris Carter around the corridors, but um, the, he was my English teacher for a little while, right. by the way, so there you go. Yeah, it was pretty fast. Why, <laughs> why'd you go from politics to national correspondence? What was your... Look, I... National correspondent, I I had ended up in parliament, like... You know, I just I went down there for the New Zealand Herald, and it was actually not really something that I wanted to do. I was quite interested in going and working there, but I never thought that I would end up working there for ten years. Um, I, it's an institution. It is literally, as you know, you go in the doors in the morning, and it's one big building filled with however many thousand people or whatever, and no one can get out, and there's all of these little things, and basically. 
I feel that it was like a prison for me. Yeah. It was like I did 10 years in there, which is the same that someone does for murder in Paremaremo, and and then they get parole. And I was in that institution for 10 years. And I think people don't understand. You do, as you say, my life in parliament, 14 years in parliament. Um, yeah, you didn't When I was there, yeah, exactly. I, I would be there from early in the morning. I didn't leave the building yeah. till yeah. like late at night, midnight, you know, some quite yeah. often. So it's just, so people say, well, Wellington, you spend a lot of time in Wellington. I don't know Wellington very well at all. <laughs> Even though physically I yeah. spent probably years of my life there. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, I had a mental breakdown in the end, and I actually- What caused that? What was your, what would you sort of say now? I think it was just a build-up of, um, of of the pressure of the job of dealing with you guys and just constantly, every day, um, sort of having to watch your back, um, constantly fighting, constantly doing deals, constantly just being on the clock and like a, you know, like a, you know, you're like a- assassin or something you know and, and you're just there like with eyes in the back of your head you doubt everything that everybody says to you you question everything you're you're trying to kind of take people out you're kind of trying to win against the other media all the time and and I also just didn't have a plan to do any of this like I it wasn't doing it for a reason I just sort of built all this stuff onto myself and it actually just wasn't me. And, you know, as, as we know now, you know, I, I, I was an alcoholic as well at, during this time and all of that just built up and basically I just snapped and I actually just could not do the job anymore. Would you say in yourself now you're in a much better place? Oh, or? yeah, yeah, you know, that's... Because that's you don't touch a drop? That's six years ago now. Yeah, I don't touch a drop now right. and and... And, you know, I, I moved out into this national correspondent role, which was a roving role around the country outside of Parliament, which I've sort of stuck to. I don't do that job anymore. But right. working out and about around New Zealand with different issues and stories and stuff with real people, you know, I'm still doing that on my on my new show and, and stuff like that. And that's given me a whole new perspective on New Zealand and, and a whole new perspective on the kind of work that I do. And it's just been like a cleansing process for me, really. Because it's less political, it's more positive. It's more positive. It the, the people are real. You're closer to you're closer to what's happening. Um, I still love politics. I watch watch what's happening all the time and I read every column and, you know, I can see stuff and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen next or, or whatever because, you, you know, I've still got that mind, um, as you will as well. Um, where I can, you know, break everything down and, and stuff like that. But, you know, for me, the kind of work that I did as a national correspondent, documentary maker, and now in, in my new show, Paddy Gow's Got Issues, you know, the kind of issues that we're doing, I've stuck with that, like stuff that's out and about. It's still political because it all leads back there eventually, but it's based around real people. T tell us about Paddy Gow's Got Issues. <laughs> well, I've got a lot of issues, as people would know. Um, it's a good name. Yeah, it's a great name, and a guy a, a guy at work, Todd Simmons, came up with it, and um, it's a fantastic name for the show, and I've been doing that this year, Simon, and for me, after leaving Parliament, this is the first really big, challenge that I've had, consistent challenge, and there's been lots of little ones that I've done since then, but now it's it's back to having, I guess, for want of a better description, a big job again, and 
I'm really enjoying that. You know, there's a team that works with me every day and, and you know, there's pressure on to get the show up every week and, you know, I'm just loving it. You know, we've, you know, we did an amazing issue last night around gender and transgender in New Zealand and, you know, you can get in and, and, ex- and explore these things and, and, and that's actually, I know this is going to sound lame, but that's what I love doing. Mm. I love putting stuff out there that pushes the agenda for people. There's no difference between doing that in Parliament. That's what I would try and do there is set the agenda and push the agenda. And, and now I'm just trying to just take bigger issues and get out there and, 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 and push these things out there so that people – I don't want to change people's minds or anything. I'm interested in doing work that makes people think. Um, I, I'm really interested in that. And what are you sort of – in terms of both your correspondent role before and now Paddy Gower's got issues – what are some of the issues that have most surprised you? I mean, did you go in? I mean, look, because we've all got – you're ex- an experienced guy. Um, I would too. You know, you do go in with a preconceived view of these things. Um, are there ones there that you've just come out full genuinely, not because it was good for the TV. You came out and, and you genuinely thought, you know what, shit, I was entirely wrong about that. Or that was just – this is very different to where I sort of thought it was. Yeah, and, you know, I think the – the main one of those would be cannabis or weed. Yeah. You know, I didn't, you know, uh, I was never against cannabis or weed. And like I smoked it, you know, when I was going through university and, you know, I'd smoke it every now and then. But I was never really into it, didn't care for it at all um, as a drug or whatnot. And, and you know, didn't mind that it was illegal. I just thought, Oh well, that's the way things are. I can't really see any point in it being legal. And then along the way, I was just amazed. I, did, I, you know, I thought medical cannabis was just a joke. It was just a. I did. I didn't hadn't bothered to learn about it or anything like that. And along the way of dealing, you know, along the way of working with weed, you know, I completely changed my mind on it. You know, I think it's 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 a fantastic medical option for people, particularly people with cancer at the end of their life or for people who are dealing with anxiety and stress and stuff like that. It's a natural option with a lot of science behind it. And then with legalising it, you know, I sort of really came around to the point that it should be decriminalised at, at the very least in this country and and that nobody should really be charged or clogging up the courts and, and, and that kind of thing with it. So... You know, that's really the classic example of going into something with a fixed view and coming out the other side completely different. Alcohol was the same. You know, I was a heavy drinker when I started working on alcohol. And by the end of it, I don't drink at all now. And I've changed my view totally on its on its place in New Zealand society. I don't talk a lot about it because I don't want to be someone that preaches to Kiwis because I don't think Kiwis like being preached to. No. They, they don't like that. So although on, on, on weed and on alcohol, um, my views have com- completely changed. And I also look at the whole drug world in general differently now. You know, I'm, I guess I've got pretty liberal views on what should happen there. But I'm also working on something to do with vaping. And it's interesting working on that because I actually think that that should be locked down. Yeah. So after years... We're going of, somewhere we don't yeah. understand on that, yeah, yeah, that's right. We're going so, to look back in sort of 40 years and it'll be the new cancer or something. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a piece of work coming up on it, documentary coming up on it, and I think it is, you know, along with phones, it's the biggest, most stupid 
experiment that humans have done on themselves yeah. for a long time. You know, yeah. vaping and and what we're doing with our phones as well is another is another whole other area. Mm. Um, but it's been interesting to get into the world of addiction, realize, you know, that I'm an addict, and I. It's you've actually asked a really good question here. Something that I Just really, one yeah, yeah <laughs> something that I've really, really changed my mind on through all of my work is addiction, actually, because that sits underneath all of these conversations that we're having now about cannabis, alcohol, and I used to look at addicts as weak people. I used to look at people who were addicted to drugs or alcohol um, as people who were weak, and I used to think, why can't you give up? Why are you causing so much pain? You know, I knew, you know, I know a lot of addicts, and one in particular that's quite close to me, and I used to see what it was doing to his mother, who was very close to me as well. And I just used to be like, why are you doing this to your family? Why are you doing this to your mum? What's what's your problem? Give up. What where is your strength? And and I guess I would judge all addicts. Like I literally in, inside of me thought that addicts were weak people. And that you know, this is by the way, ignoring the fact that I had an addiction to alcohol while I was doing this. That's how judgmental I was. Mm. And then the more that I came to learn about addiction through talking to people um, about it and learning about the science behind it, as soon as I started to learn more actually about science and the power of science as well, then I realized that addiction really for most people is a disease. And people are addicted for all sorts of different reasons and 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 not to judge them. And so what's the... Um you know, what's the answer to that? Is it simply, um, not simply, because it's not simple, but seeking help, changing? And if you are, as in your case, you actually just can't go there. Yeah, I can't go there. And, and you know, everybody's a- approach to addiction is going to be different. My mum, she was a receptionist at a doctor's surgery, and she was a really good people person. And I remember she she died a long time ago, and I remember someone said to me, "You know, your mum is such a nice lady because she doesn't she doesn't judge people." And and I was like, "Oh yeah," and and I remember once doing some sort of school project where you know you ask your parents what your superpower is, and and my mum said that she she doesn't judge people, mm. and I never ever listened to that really again until later in life, and I spent my whole life kind of judging people and everything. Um, but you know that is a a superpower for people. I think if you can not judge if you can not judge people and if you go and read the bible and all sorts of different things you know that's uh, something that goes back to the beginning of the beginning of time yeah. and and you know that's something that I sort of want to try and be like is emulate my own mum and not and not be judgmental about people. I think, you pro- I think probably because right across major religions, it's a real no-no, isn't it? That's right. If and, you look uh, at it, but human nature, <laughs> exactly. We kind of yeah. Um, there's a lot out of that, but and thanks for really powerful messages there. I mean, one thing that occurs to me though, that I just sort of am interested in. You know, Guy Espiner, for example, is famous. You're in a book about it now. There you go. Issues based on 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 booze. And um, and if he happens to listen to this fantastic podcast, I've gone. I bought it at your book launch. Um, <laughs> you've signed it. It's I haven't. I haven't book. read it to be fair, but it, it is sitting it, there it's by an, my bed, and I've so I think it. about you sometimes. Um, but anyway, press gallery, journalism, politics—you know, this is a real theme. Drink, alcoholism. 
I got to tell you on the other side, and I, I, I but look, I look, and I, I do know when I think about you know my wider circle, I do know some highly functioning alcoholics, right? They work hard and so on, but they need that booze. And you know that if you meet them, they just they like they they need it, right? So I, I I'm not naive. I got I got a, a bunch of people in my wider circle who I would say, in truth, are at some level alcoholics. In politics, on my side of the fence, though, by which I don't mean blue or red, I just mean politics, I don't know that I do know a lot of alcoholics, right? Yeah, we'd get on the booze on a Wednesday night, enjoy some single malts, and but, but you know, I certainly it's never been my issue. And if I look around my circle, wasn't. That's a bit of a ramp, but why do you think on the your side of it that 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 was there? Because it's not just you. Yeah, I think it it is. You know, booze and journalism, they really do go together, I, I, I think, you know, because it's, it's a way of decompressing after a sort of a stressful job that's literally got deadlines every day or whatever and, and stress and, and a need to debrief and tell yarns about it. They do fit quite nicely together. You know, like there's <laughs> like something stressful happened at work this week on Paddy Gower has issues, right? This, this is a classic story for you. Something stressful happened at work, and I don't drink alcohol. I'm I I haven't bought around at the pub for ages. You know I don't I don't care. You know like and but here we were, and I took the team out for a drink, even though I have kombucha, because I couldn't actually think of a way <laughs> to sort of bring the team down from what we were kind of going through, then popping across the road for a drink. Like that's how intertwined it is. It was like I, yes. it was very surreal. I was sitting there going, "I can't believe I'm doing this." You know, I, I I'd prefer to go for a walk up Mount Eden or something like yes. that. You know, um, but it's so intertwined in the culture that even as a non-drinker, I've ended up buying around for the team, <laughs> which yes. is which is fine to help decompress from a really stressful, niggly incident at work. You know what I mean? It's like. Well, how intertwined is this with what we do? Yes, booze and if, deeply cultural, and part of that yeah. mythology about journalism. Yeah, and yeah, Fleet and, Street and, or wherever it is. And ironically, you know, everybody felt better afterwards, including me, who didn't drink a drop. Everyone was like, "Hey, that was good to go and do that." And you know, and 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 that's you know, that's that's all part of alcohol and stuff. It's fine for other people, and it's intertwined in our culture to to such a huge extent. Uh, you know, it's not for me. Um, I'm an alcoholic. I can't stop when I start drinking. And and um, but yep, you some, miss it. Some oh, I do miss it from time to time. I definitely when we were sitting at, at the pub the other night, I was like, "Shivers, it'd be nice to actually have a couple of these with these guys." Mm. But I don't miss it to the extent where I want to, you know, sneak sure. off and grab it or anything mm. like or anything like that. But yeah, I definitely do miss it, and the camaraderie and the fun that comes with it is mm. all this sort of distant memory for me now. Uh, but I don't miss it to an extent like I'm going to start drinking again. Hey, well, thanks so much for that. It's, it's powerful and it's, you've been very candid and I really appreciate that. I mean, I, there's so much we could talk about. I, I, there's two or three things I want to get to, so yeah. we're going to keep moving. Um, I've got written here, big moments, elections international. I mean, later this year, we've got an election. Um, uh, you know, I, I've got this view that a new prime minister, uh, with, a, with a new prime minister and Hipkins and, and opposition leader and Chris Luxon, those TV debates are going to be really important. Right, I just think they could be even decisive, and I reckon people will tune into them because there's a lot of soft vote vote out there. You've conducted um, three in the past. Have uh, I got that wrong? No, I've done two. two. I've done I've done Ardern in English and 
Ardern and and Collins. Right. So I've done I've done two of them. Yeah, so I know a little bit about them. Well, yeah, whether you do, more than most, um, more than nearly anyone. I mean, what's your view on them? I suppose is a good general place to start. Yeah, I think debates are absolutely crucial um, for choosing our leaders in this country because they're really, you know, they attract them. The number one reason is they attract a mass audience at a time when people are most switched are most switched in. You know, it is a time when people lock into politics, a lot of them who haven't watched over the last three years. And I also think there's another factor that plays into that. I believe that Kiwis give the opposition leader a chance once the campaign starts up as well. So Kiwis, you know, you're talking about these circadian rhythms. I think if an opposition leader can get to the campaign trail, if they can get there, they they're they, in with a sniff. They're in with a sniff, always. Because Kiwis, whatever it is about the way we are, they then decide to open up to these people a bit more. So that then means that the, the debates take on an extra level. There's obviously the political interest. There's this fact that people are giving them a fair go. Um, and then there's also this new fact added into politics, which is we have a huge amount of early voting coming as well. So mm. the debates are actually in my mind, incredibly critical. You know, at that point that happened, people start voting pretty much straight afterwards now as yes. well. So in, in some ways, you know, they're more critical than ever before. And and with the splintered um, kind of media that we have and everything, there's not longer the days of the six o'clock news and watching it with your family and everything like that. It's really, uh, so yeah, basically I think they're absolutely a massive moment in, in, in politics. And to be out there in the middle of it, um, you know, they're a debate. Um, nobody can help the leaders. Um, nobody can give them any answers when you're out there. They can't, you know, they can't They can't do much. They've got to debate. They've got to answer. And and as a moderator, that's a fantastic position to have them in because what you're trying to do is set them up, or what, what I try and do is set them up with questions that they have to answer and there is a tension there that if they do not answer and jump on it, um, the other person will. And, and and pick up the ball and run with it, and I don't want to give give too much of my tricks away, but that's part of what I use in the research. You know, I will plot out um, with with the team five to ten possible steps off each question, where I think, based on what I know about each leader and their positions, where I think they will start to try and go. And having mapped what they've said and done, and and not said often try and lead them into places where they have to say something about certain things and then use the pressure of having the other person there who wants to jump in on it doing that as well. You know, that and, and what I like to do with the leaders as well is get them freewheeling. I try and create a debate where they're forced to start thinking. Beyond their silly little rehearsed That's right. three or and, four phrases. And once you can get their brains moving, it doesn't matter what it's on. Yes, once 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 you get their brains moving and you can see that both of them are in freewheeling that's in which case they're telling you what they actually think possibly that's if you've right. done a good job and, of that. And, and I think in both debates that I've done, you've seen that. I've forced the leaders to think, forced them to to say things that they normally wouldn't say and things that they think, which is when you get an amazing debate. And, I mean, the ones that I've done, you know, the first one I did, English and Ardern, they were 
neck and neck in the polls. One, TVNZ had come out and put National ahead and we'd come out and put Labour ahead and no one knew where they were. The two of them came together, you know, alongside someone like your good self. They're probably two of the best debaters uh, in Parliament at at, at that at time. time. And, um, you know, and, and it was my first time moderating. And I can tell you this, I did not remember one thing when I walked off mm. afterwards. I remember my dad coming into the changing rooms and telling me that I'd done a good job and everything else was blank. I can remember in the last ad break. He was there for it yeah. in the audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My Is that old, a sort of like a lucky charm? My old, my old man was there and it was a pretty big moment for both of us, you know, because I just never thought I'd do something like like moderate a national debate and you know, and I can remember in the last break, things sort of started to clear in my mind, and I and I was like, "Man, I've I've actually done a good job here. This has been a pretty interesting debate." And then it ended, and I and the only thing I can remember is my dad saying um, that I've done a good job, which was pretty awesome feeling. That's almost a good definition of what would be a good one, isn't it? If there's been surprising moments because yeah. you've got them to point where... And, and, and when you think about I wanted to ask you, you've sort of answered it, but when we think about your role as the... You're much more than umpire. You're actually an interrogator and you've got a role to put them through their paces because you are testing not for um, whether they've passed standard four maths, but whether they are the right person to lead... The nation. Yeah, so you are an interrogator as well, and you, you know it's an it's such a unique role, which is why I love it. It's for me, it's been the Mount Everest of journalism doing the debates because there's only one at a time for TV three, so you don't get to do two in the year. You don't get to come back two weeks later and go, "Hey, I'll improve." Mm. You're out there with one shot mm. to make a good debate, and that means you know, massive amount of preparation so that you're ready. And then, like the leaders, no one can help you when you're out there. It's you. It's you and them. That's it. And that's a massive challenge as a broadcaster to be like that, you know, with the eyes of the nation on you as well. And you've got to interrogate, but you've also got to moderate and keep it moving because Kiwis do, do not like over-interrogation or the, or the moderator taking over either. So you've got to like, you can't just like give them five minutes each to have this and five minutes each to have that. You've got to get the interrogation going. But if you talk too much, you know, you won't be able to walk down the street, you know, for yeah. a little while, a yeah. little while later with everyone watching, no, watching every you. word you say as well. So it's not, a, it is about you because you've got to interrogate, you've got to keep them moving, but it's not about you as well. So you're sort of like, what do I do, you know? And um, I, yeah, I maintained this will be the most important in decades um, because both parties are under forty percent uh, because they've both got weaknesses and you've got two at a level new leaders um, where New Zealand public doesn't really have at a deep level a sense of them. So they're they're more important than ever. You, will you be doing them for three? Don't know, I'll see, don't, don't know. I'll see. Don't know. wait. That's a yes, but I, I appreciate you <laughs> already in a position to. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do, wait, wait and see, or, or you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of what you guys would say to these sort of, sort well, of things. There's well, only few, the, I was John, what did John Key used questions. to say? There's only a few more sleeps. That's what he used to say to me. I was going to say you've met Donald Trump. That's not really true, but you've you've done. How do those U.S. elections compare with Mate, what I've, we do? Well, I've I've got as close as I as well. I've got closer than you are and I are together to Donald Trump. Um, you know, and and I've also I've been into his ballroom at Mar Lago as well. Um, so yeah, you know, I've I've I was lucky to 
I've covered three American elections, believe it or not. Um, you know, I covered Obama getting re-elected. I covered Trump getting elected, and and then I covered Biden getting elected during COVID. So I've been over there three times. I know a lot about it. I've been to about forty American states, and you know, it's 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 the most amazing election, and that's why Kiwis love watching it and and to be there and see it. You know, to see the rise of Donald Trump to get to ask him questions. I think I've asked him questions three times, you know, before he became uh, before he became president. And, you know, there's just too much security to get close to people once they become president. Um, you know, I was there the day before Donald Trump, you know, I was in America the day before Donald Trump got elected. Like, and do you, you know, and do you I'm never going to that. I mean, did you, do you understand why he did? I mean, can you see that he, oh, you know, and was he impressive? I mean, we have this view over here that's, you know, he's just this absolute, everything that's wrong and you know there's something in some of that but yeah you know, I mean, can you see why and how you I, know? I i could definitely see it when i was over there and i could actually see it the election before when obama got re-elected and and we ended up in some small town and there was all of this sort of this grumpiness and anger which later you know people have written millions and millions of lines and books and different things on what's happened in America for Donald Trump to rise up but I can sort of remember seeing it but it was the day before he got elected that we were in this school gym in this place called Scranton in Philadelphia um, which was a sort of democratic area but you know was going to flip by the looks of things to Donald Trump and it had all this history Joe Biden grew up there and all that sort of thing and I remember being in the school gym there and Donald Trump came to speak and I can remember sitting there going, holy shit. Like whatever the atmosphere was, whatever the feeling in the air was, and I think, you know, there's always something in the air before an election, whether it's in America or in New Zealand or whatever, there is this sort of this this kind of foreboding kind of feeling. But I remember sitting there going, I'm watching history here. This guy's going to do it. If, if people are acting like this yeah. elsewhere around America, so, there is going to be a boil over tomorrow, which there was. And I, 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 I can remember feeling it. And I said something to that effect on TV. And at that point, you know, it was quite hard reporting on Donald Trump actually at that point because, you know, in New Zealand, everybody hates him and they've all got views on American politics. A lot of them without actually having been, been there and, and seen, seen what's there. And um, but I remember saying something to that effect, you know, not a not a prediction, and um, that you know that that if there was more Scrantons, then he's going to do it, and there were more Scrantons, there were hundreds, um, if not thousands, more Scrantons, and that's how he did it in 2016. So I can definitely remember it, and despite everything that it caused for America and everything, seeing it just as a spectacle of history, seeing the rise of Donald Trump so closely, you know, that's. That's something that is really sort of special to me, just observing it. And the absolute remarkable thing is he might do it <laughs> again. I've got to wrap up asking you the question we ask every guest. We call this section general knowledge. Um, for you, there's no politics involved. If you could be, well, there might be. If you could be somebody else for a day, who'd it be? <laughs> oh, my God, that's a good one. If I, yeah, oh, oh, I would love to, and you'll find this really interesting. I would love to be a prosecutor or a defense lawyer yeah. in a big trial. Yeah. I would actually, that is something that I would 
love to try, you know, and, and obviously I could never go and do all the training all the time that is required to kind of get there. But if I could do something to see what it was like, I would really like to, in a high, like I'm talking about a high stakes trial, yeah. um, I would actually like to be, and it wouldn't, I wouldn't really mind being the Crown Prosecutor or the Defence Lawyer. I'd yes. quite happily do either. Yes. But that is actually something. Like, this is actually a really good question. I've never thought well, of it's, this before. Well, that, that's the role but, I've done. I know, I know. And I can tell you it's harder than journalism or politics. <laughs> <laughs> because because you get your phrases wrong. Yeah. You don't quite get it right. And you're in the freaking court of appeal. And yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 in its way, it's forensic. A bit like being a surgeon. I mean, it doesn't. Yep. You know, yep. no one in that moment is dying or living. But it's uh, so. It's great to hear that. What's your most embarrassing moment? Oh, that's easy. Um, when I forgot my passport, and John Key was going to Iraq, and I left my passport back at the hotel, and I couldn't go on the plane because we had to go through customs to leave. <laughs> And the plane had to leave without did, me. Did you get there? No, no. Yes, I did. Yeah, got on yeah. They plane. they got turned they got turned back because of a sandstorm, and I got the biggest second chance of my life. I probably would have got fired. That that is how bad that <laughs> things were. And you know, Key had to hold the plane for me to go. He was going to meet the president because we were going back into town to get it. He was going to meet the president of Iraq. And I will always have to thank him for this. Apparently, he held the plane for about 15 minutes to see if I could get back, which is pretty damn nice considering I was a journalist who made his life absolute hell. Well, he knew the power of the press, though. <laughs> That's right. He, he thought that was worth two the, good hey, stories. No, the camera was still on there, so he would have been fine. That, that was the exact kind of media that a right. politician wants, camera only. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah, that was embarrassing. That was embarrassing. If money was no object, what are the first three things you'd buy? Oh, this is another good question. Okay, let me think. Well, money's not huge to me, but if, and I don't know if this is three things or one or whatever, but I would really like to move back to Oakura Beach in Taranaki mm. and have a house on the on or near the beach um, and be able to live there. So, what would I need? I'd need the house, um, you know, I'd need the house, the view of the mountain. Um, and the beach is that sort of three things. But if yeah. that if that was a, you know if I won lotto or if I um, could have whatever, I, that's probably all that I'd want would be able to live back, um, you know, at, at that beach close to the the, the mountain and being being able to see the mountain, be close to my family and friends, and 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 that would be awesome. That would actually be my life dream. Fantastic. Yeah, is that a good answer? Was good it answer. three things? Fantastic answer. Kind of. Kind of about ten, but one. No, it's okay. <laughs> Famous actor that'd play you in the movie of your life. Well, earlier on we said you know character actor. We need <laughs> we need a we need a we need a we need a character actor. I don't know. I've always thought he's not an actor, but I've always thought Lyle Lovett um, <laughs> had a sort of yeah, sort of the, like a, yeah, <laughs> sort I'd of vibe. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, I don't know. It would have to be a character actor. I'd yeah, but you know. Speaking of character actors that you mentioned earlier, like that's something I'd, you know, if I couldn't do the see it. court thing, I could see maybe it. a character actor would work. <laughs> sort of, I could see, I could see you yeah. doing that. You'd be good at it. Um, if you could choose to stop aging at any age, what would it be? Well, it would be age forty six, which is <laughs> which is now today. Likewise, so, yeah, you and it, I are. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm, the year I, of seventy six, and this is not even an Let's answer. Let's not compare yeah, and contrast our, no, no, our but, sort of physical fitness. But or, I will say, if I could stop aging, I would want to stop aging today because I'm feeling every 
minute of um, 46 and a half and I'm sort of every day I'm noticing, you know, today I was coming in and, you know, I can't see stuff that's on screens anymore. You know, the hearing's going, uh, you know, I'm so, uh, my flexibility is terrible. Um, So yeah, stop right now, please. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Hey, it's just been a pleasure. Thanks so much. I can call you this now, Paddy Gower. You've been listening to Generally Famous, a Stuff podcast. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous or wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, if you follow us on Apple or Spotify, any of the podcast apps, in fact, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Sounds good, right? Thanks to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black and audio editor John Rapiha. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.